Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. All right. Good morning. Glad y'all are here this morning. We went a little long in the, uh, the commons. Uh, we had some technical difficulties. We got it all squared away. I didn't have time to put shoes on. That's okay. <laughs> Yeah, at my first church uh, that I was at in Virginia, I never wore shoes, so they actually called me the barefoot pastor there for quite a while. Um, So it's kind of like a throwback Sunday for me, Um, but thanks for your patience with that. (laughs) Uh, Don't look at them too much. Uh, This past weekend was the youth uh, yard sale, and they've been working on a can drive, and they were able to raise just yesterday $2,500, which is amazing. So, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Dean was able to talk about some of the mission trips are, that are coming up and some of the things that are going to be doing. So it would be great for the youth to have some more funds to be able to dip into, make sure that that can happen. And I want to encourage any of you um, parents, students, grandparents, be encouraging the, the students around you to participate in one of those mission trips. Uh, They can be formational events. You know, the goal is always to help the people that we're going to do the mission to, right? But, you know, I think sometimes, if not always, (laughs) we're impacted just as much. You know, those moments are really a chance for us to learn what it means to serve um, and and to really follow in Jesus' footsteps. So uh, make sure you're taking those opportunities if you can. So I want to jump right in today, right straight into the scripture. We're going to be Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12, but we're going to take it a section at a time. And let's, yeah, let's jump right in. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Jesus spent a lot, of, a lot of time in his earthly ministry at the beginning, back and forth. He wasn't in one place long, right? Even from his birth, you know, he was in Bethlehem, he was in Egypt, he was back, then he was in Capernaum, then he was in Galilee, and now he's back at Capernaum again. That's where we're picking up the story today, back in Capernaum, and it's likely that the house that they're talking about was the house of um, Peter and Andrew's mother. Remember, just I think two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus healing Peter's mother, and now he's back at the house visiting. And as he's visiting, these, these crowds start gathering. There's, in Israel, hospitality was super important. It was extremely important. I remember... Um, I thought I had these grand visions that when I went and lived in Virginia that I'd have like, it's this, you know, out front porch and be able to sit and have people come visit me. Well, my porch wasn't big enough to do that. So that wasn't the case. And what I found out was it really wasn't the case that it worked that way most, most places anyways. 
But in Israel, there is this understanding that from the time that you woke up to the time you went to bed, that the door was just kind of an open-door policy, especially in the case that you had a, an honored guest or someone special in your house. The doors were just kind of open for whoever to come in and go as they pleased to come and visit. So in this instance, Jesus is there. These crowds are gathering, and he begins to preach the word. And it's interesting that the synagogue leaders, as we'll find out in just a little bit, were there too. And they had placed themselves in kind of a, a position to be the center of everything. They, wanted, they were there early, and they were there not to honor Jesus, but to catch him. Right? Their, their goal wasn't to hear the great words that he was saying, to see the great works that he was doing, to, to experience a miracle. They're hoping to catch him saying something he wasn't allowed to. Right? They wanted to see him make a misstep so that they could condemn him. And they got what they were looking for. <laughs> they got exactly what they were looking for. Uh, but it didn't mean quite what they thought it would. In verse 2, it says that he was preaching the word to them. Remember, Chad talked about, I think two weeks ago, that the, Jesus' purpose was to preach to them, right? to give the gospel, the, the miracles, these great works, the healings. They were, they were great, and they were awesome, and they were evidence of who he was and his authority, but they weren't his purpose. His purpose for being here was to preach the word. I think February 12th, we had the sermon where we talked about uh, Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20, and in that it says, The time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right? That's the message that he was here to preach. To tell people that time that you've been waiting for, the coming Messiah, like he is here. <laughs> he is me. <laughs> I am him, right? I am the Messiah that, that's coming. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what he's preaching, right? He's in this home. He's in the home of, of Peter's mother, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's teaching the people. The crowds are gathering. They're getting bigger and bigger. And if you imagine, they're so large, you can't even get into the house. Like, you couldn't force your way in if you tried. And there's these four friends, right? Well, five friends. Four of them are walking. The other one is laying on a cot or a stretcher of some sort. And all they want to do is get into that building, Right? They just want to get in. They want to see Jesus. They want to be before Jesus so that their friend can be healed. But there's no way. They're too late. Right? They were, they're not honored guests. They don't have the standing to barge in and say, hey, make room. They're too late. For whatever reason, they were not prepared. But they're standing outside and they're, they're catching snippets of this message. That God is near. The kingdom is at hand. Everything you've been waiting for, it's right here. You just got to take hold of it. Repent and believe. And you imagine, maybe there's just this sense of knowing this expectation that's welling up inside of them. And they just, they know they got to do whatever it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus. So they go up the stairs that were probably on the outside of the building. They get up on the roof. And I'd imagine they're probably looking and trying to gauge based on where the door is, where is Jesus? <laughs> Right, he's got to be right about here, and they just start ripping into the roof. Right, they're pulling the tiles off. They're pulling the brush and the debris that would have held the dirt together that made the ceilings. And if you're on the inside, 
dust starts filtering in. <laughs> There's debris falling, and you're wondering, what is up there? What is going on? <laughs> and then a ray of light peeks through, and you see a face, and that hole continues to grow and get bigger and bigger and going, what in the world? What are they doing right now? And the next thing you know, there's this cot being lowered down with a man on it, of all things, right at the feet of Jesus. And when Jesus is lowered in verse 5, it says this, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, What are you doing? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? He doesn't say, wait your turn. He doesn't put them off. He doesn't say, hey, we can talk later. He looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And that's so important. Jesus welcomes their interruption. He looks right into his face. He looks out at the crowd who, they were there on time. <laughs> they got the spot that, that they, they wanted. And then he looks back to the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He welcomes that interruption. And that statement, son, your sins are forgiven, that's a huge statement theologically. But it's also just the loving thing to do right there, right? It's the loving, the most loving thing Jesus could have done in that moment. And how many of us have been there? Right? How many of us have been there when we just wanted somebody to see us? We've been in a room like this, right, where there's lots of people with all the weight of the world on our shoulders, with whatever it is going wrong, or that secret that we've been trying to hide, and all we want is for somebody to see us. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this situation. Right? It doesn't matter that they were late. It doesn't matter that they interrupted. It doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you've done, God still sees us. We all deserve to be seen. In chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says that his purpose is to preach the gospel. Right? So that's what he's doing. He's doing exactly that. Then there's this major interruption. Roof gets torn off the building. Jesus welcomes it. And if you've ever thought to yourself, my problems are too small and I'm too insignificant for God to worry about it, for God to be concerned about it. You couldn't be more wrong. There is nobody, no thing too insignificant for God to care. That's the first point this morning. Jesus welcomes the interruption. Jesus welcomes our interruption no matter how big or how small it is. If it's the thing that's weighing on us, if it's the thing that's holding us down, keeping us from him, he welcomes it. He wants us to come to him. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. There's a, there's a lot going on here in this verse. There's a, you could just about write it, you probably could write an entire sermon just on verse 5 alone. It's interesting here that this is Mark's first use of the word faith, and it's tied directly to an action. A few weeks ago, we talked about the belief side of faith, the knowledge side of faith. 
And if you remember, I used the illustration that I could tell you I'm a capable painter. I know what I'm doing. I've painted my house. It came out great. You might even see some pictures. If you go on my Facebook page, I'm sure I've got some before and after pictures posted. You could see that I am at least capable. And you could believe that. But the belief that is faith is more like then welcoming me into your house to paint it. To go, okay, I believe you can do what you say you do. I believe that the results are there. So, would you paint my living room? When we say we believe that we have faith in Jesus, that knowledge that we're talking about is the kind of knowledge that welcomes us, that that believes that we are going to see Jesus do what he says he's going to do. And here the friends of this man, the friends of the paralytic, are said to have faith, but they they don't say anything. They didn't, they didn't communicate to him the Romans road. They didn't communicate to him Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the coming Messiah. They just knew that he'd been doing miracles, and they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of him. They had a faith that jumped into action. The faith that Jesus affirms here in chapter 5 is evidenced solely on their actions. James 17, verses uh, James 2, sorry, there's not 17 chapters in James. James 2, 17 through 26 says this, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith is apart from faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We are saved by grace through faith alone. That's true. 100%. You can take that to the bank. (laughs) We are saved by grace through faith alone, by giving ourselves, by submitting ourselves to God's will fully. Faith that does not result in action might not be faith at all. We have to ask ourselves, if, if I'm not moved to something, if I'm not moved to do something based on the the faith that I claim and have I have in God, is that really faith at all? The four friends had a faith that was at least three things. The first one is persistent. Right? It, it didn't give up. Their faith did not give up. It didn't matter what stood in front of them. When they got there and there's this huge crowd and they couldn't get to Jesus, they didn't say, well, I guess it's not the Lord's will. We're not going to make it today. No. That wasn't stopping them. That crowd wasn't going to stop them. They were going to do whatever it took. 
The second thing is their faith was creative. How many of you would have gone, let's vandalize the neighbor's house today? (laughs) None of us. Like, that's not the way that we would do it. We would look at the house and go, well, there's a way, but it's illegal, and I don't think it would probably be frowned on. That, no, they didn't let that stop them. They were persistent. They were creative. Now, I'm not advocating that it's a good idea to vandalize your neighbor's house in the name of faith. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But a faith that truly views God as the only way will stop at nothing. If we truly believe that Jesus is the only way, he's the only way to heaven, he's the only one capable of taking away our illness, of healing us, of providing for us, that faith will stop at nothing. And the third thing is, it was sacrificial. Right? They risked a lot. They risked being outcast, I'd imagine. <laughs> and if my neighbors ripped my roof off, I probably would not be real excited with them. I'm not sure I would talk to them soon. I'll say that. It would be a financial risk. Somebody had to pay for the repairs. Probably physically, it was a risk. I mean, the roofs weren't super tall, I don't think. The rooms, the buildings seemed small, but you're certainly risking injury by being on somebody's roof and digging a hole in it so that you can lower your paralyzed friend through the roof. There's an inherent physical risk involved in that. Their faith was sacrificial. They knew they were potentially giving a lot up by putting their friend in front of Jesus, but the potential result was worth far more than the risk to get in there. That brings us to the next point for today, and it's more of a question. Is our faith persistent? Is it creative? Is it sacrificial? And now I'm not sure that it's not required that our faith be creative. We may not find ourselves in a situation where we need our faith to be creative. But are we willing to go the extra mile? Do we have a faith that truly views God as the only way? Let's go back to verse 5. We'll read 5 through 9. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take your bed, and walk. If you stop the story right there, it seems a little bit insensitive. <laughs> right? If you stop there, it seems a little in- insensitive because they went looking for Jesus to say, rise, get up, take your mat, and walk. And what Jesus said was, son, your sins are forgiven. In their context, illness and sin were directly linked. If somebody was born blind, or someone was paralyzed, or you know, they went deaf, the assumption was that they had sinned, or their family had sinned. Somebody close to them had sinned, and it had resulted in this illness. So when, when he is paralyzed, 
the assumption is that he has some kind of sin in his life that is stopping it, stopping him from walking. So Jesus is actually going a step further when he says that than what any of the friends hoped for. And he's simultaneously making this huge theological statement to the Pharisees. When he says, Sons, your, son, your sins are forgiven. In some senses, it was way easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, because it didn't require any evidence. You could say, son, your sins are forgiven, and if he had left then, probably the people would have gone, some would have said, oh, man, that's awesome. Your sins are forgiven. That is incredible. Others would have been skeptical, right? They'd have been going, well, that's, that's a statement, but where's the evidence? You can't show me that your sins are forgiven. On the other hand, to say your sins are forgiven was incredibly difficult because it risked a lot. Claiming to forgive sin was a major risk. Only God could forgive sin. That was what they, they understood in their culture. That's what they had been told in the Bible. Only God can forgive sin. And claiming to be God is blasphemy. The re- result or the punishment for blasphemy is death by stoning. So if they had heard this idea or this, this statement, son, your sins are forgiven, they'd have heard Jesus saying, I am God. At the very least saying, I have the same power as God. And especially those religious leaders sitting in the front row who were looking for Jesus to do something wrong, who were looking for Jesus to say something wrong, now they had it. Right Now he's claimed to be God. Now he's blasphemed. What Jesus is doing in this moment is claiming his divine authority. He's claiming that authority that he has as the Son of God, that he has the same power as God. And if you look at verse 10 through 11, 10 through 12, we see the conclusion of the story. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He does that thing that I think everybody expected, but then after making a statement like that, nobody expected. He kind of threw it back in the the religious leader's face. I know you're here to put me on the spot. I know you're here to call me out for doing wrong. I know you're here to set me up. I'm going to step right into that moment. I'm going to give you exactly what you want, and I'm going to heal this man, and I'm going to forgive his sins. By their own stated beliefs, the religious leader's stated beliefs, this guy could not be cured unless he was forgiven. He was cured, therefore he was forgiven, And therefore, Jesus' claim to forgive the sins was proved to be true. Can you imagine the tension in that room? (laughs) Can you imagine the tension where, you know, probably some of Jesus' loved ones, his disciples are just going, oh, gosh, stop, stop, stop. We, We know you can do this, but please just stop. You're setting yourself up for failure in the long run. Then you've got the religious leaders who now, they're ticked beyond belief, right? They... They've just had everything that they grew up believing, everything that they've been protecting thrown back in their faith. And then you've got these four friends in the paralytic that are going, we're just innocent bystanders. We don't want to be in the middle of this. We believed you could heal him. 
That's what we wanted you to do. That's all we wanted you to do. And now there's all this tension in the room, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, right? This sets in motion all of the, all of the things that would lead to the cross, right? We, we celebrated communion this morning. Everything that led from this point on to that point, supposedly, for the first time. But can you imagine being one of those friends? Being one of the friends of the paralytic? Right? They, just wanted to be, they just wanted him to be healed. He just wanted to be healed. But he was given so much more. Right? He was given the hope of a future. He was made whole. He was given an encounter with God. He had this amazing moment. His sins were forgiven. Right? Sin is the thing that separates us from God. Sin is the thing that has caused the gap that separates us from being able to stand with God in his presence. It's the thing that separates us from eternity with God unless we put our faith in Christ. It's the thing that's preventing us from being exactly what God wanted us to be in the first place, what he created us to be in the first place. And Jesus is just forgiven. it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter how perfect life might seem. (laughs) It doesn't matter how big or small the sin that's present in your life seems. We have all sinned. We all require that same sacrifice that Christ made in order to be able to stand before God someday righteous. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all deserving of that same death. Every single one of us. The just thing to do would be to punish us. But that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus goes and takes that punishment on himself so that we could be saved, so that we could be made righteous and stand before God. In this moment, the paralytic is given a new lease on life because up to that moment, Sure, he couldn't walk, which is a, a big deal. <laughs> but even more than that, he wasn't in right standing with God. In their culture, they would have known, and if I die now, the result's not good. <laughs> I am not on right standing with God. I have sin in my life that's evidenced by this paralysis. And in that moment, when Jesus forgives him and then he walks, he knows he's walking with God. He knows that his sins are forgiven and that he has now been restored in his relationship with God. And that's the third and fourth point this morning. Jesus wants to heal you completely and wholly beyond just the physical. And I get it. The physical healing is important. But he wants to give us more. And the fourth one, Jesus' forgiveness is the greatest gift available to us all. Better than any healing or met need. I know that's the same statement said two different ways. Those last two points say the same thing. But it's such an important statement. It needs to be said in more ways than one. The forgiveness that's available to us through Christ is more important than any other gift we could ever receive. Any 
amount of healing he could do in our life. And I get it, right? Some of us this morning, some of you this morning are going, forgiveness, that's great, awesome. That's not what I want. I want to be healed. I want my relationships to be healed, right? My marriage is falling apart, God, and that's the thing that I need you to work in. The gas got shut off this week, and I don't have a way to pay the bills, and I don't know what to do next. The car broke down, and I just spent all the money on the groceries so that the kids could eat. We've been trying to adopt these kids for years, and it's just one thing after the next, one barrier after the next, and it doesn't seem like that finish line is getting any closer. That's the need I want you to address, God. Right, there is times when we are at that moment. That, that is the thing that we want the most. And I get that. God sees you if you're there. He knows exactly what that need is. And the thing is, he wants to, to carry that burden for you. He wants you to lay it down. He wants you to have faith for him to fix it. He wants for you to have faith to heal it. He sees the pain. He sees the struggle. He sees the heartbreak. He welcomes the interruption of us coming in and saying, God, heal me. Provide for my needs. And there's no better place that we can find ourselves than at his feet. But here's the thing. Healing starts at repentance. Healing starts at at repentance. If you read the Bible, there are some examples where we don't necessarily see that repentance beforehand. And there are moments because God is God, he gets to work outside of the, the rules. <laughs> but healing starts at repentance. All right, when we, Jesus called us in verse 15 to repent and believe in the gospel, Right? We've talked about repentance is like, this is your old life over here where you've got the sin, right? You have that habitual sin. Or maybe it's not that there's something inherently wrong, but you're not just, you're not doing exactly what God's called you to do. Like for me, for the longest time, I knew God had called me to ministry. I knew that what he wanted me to do was to be a pastor. But I wanted to be an accountant because I thought they made money. And I've always wanted a 63 Corvette, so I knew being a pastor wasn't going to get me there. (laughs) So I was comfortable hanging out here. I got to college, and I knew that wasn't the right thing for me. I got there. I was registering for classes. I had all of my accounting classes registered. I was walking out of the door of the accounting building, and I turned around and said, Hey, sorry to waste your time. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. And we cleared all those schedules, and I walked over to the ministry building, and I sat down with a guy I hadn't met yet, and I said, hey, I was just in the accounting room. I'm supposed to be in ministry. But that was one way that I had to repent of something that was the old. I had to turn away from what I wanted, sacrifice it, put it down, and to step into what God was creating me to be or had created me to be. It doesn't always necessarily look like an inherent 
sin. But what is God asking you to lay down the sacrifice? We talked about it. will for your life really is. What is the thing that he's asking you to sacrifice? We talked about it being like a 180, but it's really like stepping out of one dimension and into another. It's an entirely new being. But healing starts at repentance. And this is what he was preaching when they lowered the man down. Repent. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's what we're going to do this morning. This is how we're going to close. Usually we have a lot of ideas for application for you to take and go home and think about and do. But if you walked in this morning with all the weight of the world on your shoulders, something in your life that you need to be healed of, a provision that you need, knowing that you need repentance, that you need to repent and turn, there's no reason to wait. There's no time to wait. We don't know what's going to happen when we step out of these doors this morning. So as we get ready to close this morning, the altars, or, or rather, we don't necessarily have altars, so the stage is going to be open, whether it's here in the sanctuary or in the commons. And if you sense the Spirit of God calling you to repentance, or you hear him calling and saying that you need to come forward for prayer for healing, or you have that particular need that you need provided for, I want to encourage you to challenge you to come forward this morning to what's going to be our altar as an act of faith and just pray. And if the Spirit's really moving and this space gets filled, feel free to kneel where you are. And how awesome would that be? But take the time to really listen to God and come forward, kneel where you're at. And this is where the faith of the friends comes in hand, right? If the, if the friends had come with their paralyzed friend and had gone, well, there's no way in. What are we going to do? We can't do anything, so we'll have to come back another day. The story wouldn't be in the Bible. This moment when Jesus reached into the darkness, who healed this guy, would not have happened. He could have never have had that chance to say, son, your sins are forgiven. It required the faith of the friends. Our faith is not meant just for us, but it's meant to build up and edify the body of Christ. So if you see somebody who's praying, someone who's praying alone or next to you, I want to encourage you to pray with them. Right? You can go and pray with them. You know, laying on of the hands is, you know, when you look through Scripture, there's evidence of laying on of hands during healing and commissioning. Pray for the people around you. Right? The faith of our friends, the faith of the people standing next to us is just as important in these moments of healing than our own faith is. When it seems like, when it seems like everybody's had their chance to respond, Steve will come up and, and close in prayer and the benediction. Um, but just take the time you need this morning. Right, We're not going to rush if we go a little long, we go a little long. We're just going to keep worshiping and praying until we sense the Spirit saying, okay, it's enough.
You've done what you needed to do. But I want to leave you with this encouragement. If you feel this morning like you've been suffocating under the weight of the world, under the weight of needs, illness, the sin that you just can't shake, then God is saying to you this morning, child, I see you. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and go. Let's pray. God, hear our prayers this morning. Hear the prayers of your people. I pray that you would see our faith. I pray that if you are working in our hearts to repent, that you would give us the strength to do that, to know that stepping into the unknown, that you're going to walk with us. I pray that you would do the work in us today that would bring glory to you, that would move your will forward. Needs that are represented here in this room. God, you are an amazing God. There's so many needs that are represented here in this room, in the commons, people joining us online this morning. I pray that you would meet each and every person right where they are, right where they are in their seat. God, we just want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be loved. I pray that we would sense that in the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, God. We thank you for the, the work of Christ on the cross, the the sacrifice that he made so that we could be forgiven, so that we could stand in your presence and be made right and holy and have that relationship restored between us and the Father. God, this morning, if there's anybody here who hasn't accepted that, that call yet, who hasn't accepted that free gift of salvation, I pray that they would come forward and take now as the opportunity to accept that, to be prayed over and loved by the people of this church. God, work in us and do in us whatever it is that you want to do in us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.